Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4, we'll be focusing on verses 7 through 21 as we look at really the substance of this entire letter. We are, uh, have been going through the New Testament, and we're starting to draw that to a conclusion. And so today we look at uh, John and, and one of his letters and, and at the kind of the core of his letter in chapter 4. And then uh, after that, the next three weeks, we will conclude by another letter of John or another writing of John, uh, but we know it as the book of Revelation, and we'll take three weeks to work our way uh, through that as we draw to a conclusion um, this series on looking at the, uh, the New Testament in kind of a summary fashion. And then this fall, we'll start by start looking at the Heidelberg Catechism uh, in the evening service. We start this evening, or we continue this evening, uh, with John in his first letter, and and uh, it's funny the way that the Holy Spirit works things out because this morning we looked at John, his gospel, and we looked and we heard Jesus commanding John and the other disciples to love each other, and what does John write about? He got the message, and so now he writes about that as the core of this letter that he writes. To several churches, and uh, and so we're going to see the actually the living out of what Jesus had commanded in one of his disciples. We're going to read uh, that section in, in a few moments. So if you just keep your Bibles open, let's uh, first open with a word of prayer. Father God, we know your love, and it's so easy to simply. Uh, sit back and hear the word love and think we know it all, and, and yet uh, John challenges us here as to how we receive your love and, and respond back to you and respond to our others. So I pray that we would learn uh, how to be lovers like you are. And we pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we live in a society in which probably the most popular thing to sing about is love. A number of favorite love songs might come to mind, some of them syrupy perhaps, some of them simplistic. Take, for example, the Beatles' All You Need Is Love, written in a world of the Vietnam War and of flower children calling the world to peace. It's, It's really a simplistic view of how to get along. All you need is love. But yet, while that seems simplistic, that is the song that the Apostle John composes in his first letter. In fact, scholar Gordon Fee says the letter is much more like a musical composition than a rational argument like Paul might write. John presents several themes, returning to them and interweaving them in a way that all brings forward his main point, all you need is love. Now, the situation of the letter was that there were churches in Asia Minor, which apparently John was overseeing, who were dealing with false teachers who were coming in, and they were splitting the churches. And these particular false teachers believed that Jesus was divine, he's the Son of God, but they didn't believe that he was fully human. And as a result, 
the, the death and resurrection of Jesus was relatively unimportant to them. Well, think about that. That's really at the, just the opposite of Christian theology, which says the blood of Jesus is absolutely necessary for our salvation, and his resurrection shows that God has accepted that sacrifice of atonement for us. And they're throwing that atonement right out the window. And so, as you might imagine, that was also causing some splitting within the church, people taking sides. So as John writes, he's dealing with churches facing the trauma of faulty theology that questions everything they had believed up to this point and been taught, and broken community as people were taking sides against each other. And John says the answer to both of those is love. Let's look at verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So one of the questions these churches were asking in the light of that false teaching and the church division was, who are the real children of God? They're taking sides. And they're saying, well, who's got the real theology and who are the real children of God? And so John starts this section, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He says, who are the real children of God? It's those who who know God is love and who act accordingly. Everyone who loves like God loves has been born of God. He says, those who are born of God take on his character. And his character is a love giver. A love giver. 
God is love, he says a couple of times in the, just in the verses we read. God is love. It's part of his very nature. It's the motive for all God's actions. In fact, when God revealed himself to Moses at God's own request, in a sense, he describes himself this way, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When God wanted to say, this is who I am, finally answering Moses' inquiries, this is who I am, he says, I am love. Love that shows itself in compassion, in grace, in faithfulness, in forgiveness. Now, God is usually depicted in the Bible as father and and the Bible talks about God's fatherly love, but every so often his love is expressed in motherly terms. In one case, as a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings. So God is the source of both fatherly and motherly love for us. And he shows that love in the same way. God is a source of love. The only way we know what love really is. Now in the New Testament, his love is described with the Greek word agape, and I've mentioned this before probably many times, but agape was a, a very little-known word among the Greeks. They just didn't use it in their vocabulary much. They had other words for love that were more fitting for them. And the re, re, but when the Christians came along, they, and, and uh, Paul started talking and Jesus started talking about love, they used the term agape because it means a self-giving love, a love that's undeserved, and for the most part, the Greeks had not seen that. They couldn't see that in their gods. But we can see that in our God. A love that is self-giving, ultimately, to the cross of Jesus. And then, basically, John asks that question, well, how does God show us love? And he goes on in verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. How does God show his love? By sending his son into the world to die a sacrificial death on his behalf. Now, John's key theme here, then, is the incarnation of Jesus, that he is, in fact, fully human, unlike what those other teachers had been coming and, and uh, teaching the churches about. He's fully human, which allows him to take the penalty for the sins of humans. The catechism makes a strong point about uh, only a human being can pay for human sins. And through his shed blood, we are saved and reconciled back to God. So again, he's trying to oppose those false teachers who are downplaying Jesus' humanity, who are saying things like, no, we're saved by because we have this elite knowledge somehow through the Spirit, or we have this, this baptism by this particular person or the like. John says, no, I can show you God's love. Look at the cross. That gives God's, visible, God's love visible expression. And that's not just John speaking. Jesus himself said that famously when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only, but not only is it a selfless love, it is an active, self-giving love. God doesn't just sit back and feel warmly about us. He did something tangible, active to express that love. But you could say that his love is also an illogical love. That is, as far as our logic is concerned, it's above our logic. Ian Pitt Watson once wrote, some things are loved because they're valuable, and some things are valuable because they're loved. And he uses as an example his daughter's rag doll. He says everyone has them. Linus's blanket and the Peanuts comic strips is a rag doll. Radar's teddy bear and mash is a rag doll. He says, as the years went by, the rag doll became the most precious thing that child possessed. She had other toys that were, of course, intrinsically far more valuable than the rag doll, but none that she loved like she loved that rag doll. As the years went by, the rag doll began to create certain problems. It became more and more rag and less and less doll. It also became more and more dirty. If you tried to clean up the rag doll, it became more ragged still. And if you didn't, it became dirtier still. The sensible thing to do, the logical thing to do, was face facts. The rag doll had never, in fact, never been worth much, never been more than a bundle of rags, and now it had become a bundle of dirty rags. The sensible thing to do, the logical thing to do with a bundle of dirty rags is to trash the rags. But that was unthinkable, blasphemous even, for anyone that loved my kid. If you loved Rosemarie, you loved that rag doll. It was part of a package. And then he said, we are God's rag dolls. We are God's rag dolls. Not loved because we are valuable, but valuable, priceless even, because we are loved by God. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, then we need to get to the place where we, through faith, can accept God's love, which means for us also forgiveness, reconciliation, eternal life, key elements of our salvation. His love shows us to be children of God, as we noted earlier. We're, if you have love, that shows you are born of God. But more than that, God's love transforms our character. It transforms our character. We can't come into a real relationship with God without being transformed into loving people. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Being a Christian means his love is made complete in us. Means being loving. And so we respond in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Our love is a response. We are not the, we are not the first movers. We are not the first to say, oh, I'm going to love God. Or I'm going to love others. No, it's God's love that causes us to love. It's natural. Out of gratitude for God's love and how he expressed it by sacrificing his only son. But it's also commanded. The Ten Commandments. As Jesus says in the summary of the law, it's all about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But having been recipients of the gift of love, then we must become love givers. 
And as children of God, it's natural not only to love him, but also to love others. We are to be loving persons since love is part of our Christian character. And so John goes on, verses 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, at first glance, this might be shocking. It says if we're not loving others, then we're not loving God. But not only should love be natural, it is commanded. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus then continues that greatest command. I only read the first part of it, you may have noticed. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting because while Jesus calls this the second great command, as we've seen and I've talked about uh, throughout the summer and when we looked at uh, the, some, one of the letters of Paul and one of the letters and the, the letter of James, and now we see it in the letter of John, they're all saying the same thing. This is loving your neighbor as yourself is actually commandment number one. James calls it the royal commandment. And that seems really strange to us. I know I had conversations after one of my sermons where we talked about that. I was like, I just can't get my head around the fact that loving your neighbor is, is, comes first before loving God. But John explains it this way, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Love of God is reflected in our love for others. And if we're not loving others, are we really loving God because he's commanded us to love others and he has shown us how to love others and he has engendered that gratitude within us because of his love for us. In his book, Wishful Thinking, Frederick Buechner writes, in the Christian sense... Love is not primarily an emotion, but an act of the will. When Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, he's not telling us to love them in the sense of responding to them with a cozy emotional feeling. You can as well produce a cozy emotional feeling on demand as you can a yawn or a sneeze. On the contrary, he's telling us to love our neighbors in the sense of being willing to work for their well-being even if it means sacrificing our own well-being to that end. And that, again, gets to the point of agape love, right? It's, it's not just selfless, warm feelings, but self-giving, sacrificial action. Thinking of others ahead of one's, oneself, but also putting others ahead of ourselves. And there are a world of recipients waiting for that love, at first glance, we might think, okay, those people that, that should get our love are our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our friends, lovable people for the most part. But John says back in chapter 2, that's the old command Moses gave. But John says he's also writing a new command based on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So the recipients of our love are not just lovable people, they are even our enemies. Maybe people we consider detestable people. And Jesus exemplified that, loving people that others were not loving, a tax collector, prostitutes, Samaritans, even the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. He looked at them with the eyes of love, and we are called to as well if we are to be truly sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. But, but how do we do that? Paul Turnier was a brilliant thinker and writer and an influential Christian therapist during his time. Doctors from around the world traveled to his home in Switzerland to learn from him. He wrote once, it's a little embarrassing for students to come over and study my techniques. They always go away disappointed because all I do is accept people. All I do is accept people, or we could put the word love in there. Now, accepting is not the same as approving, condoning, tolerating bad behavior. Acceptance is an act of the heart in which we recognize that despite someone's bad behavior, he or she still has value in God's sight, and we honor that. But this can be a hard thing to do. Robert Roberts in Spirituality and Human Emotion tells us how we can develop the eyes of love. He said, when confronting people who are unlovable, look first at yourself humbly as a sinner saved by grace, and then look at the other person as a creature loved by God, but also in need of grace. And then as equals, we can share the good news of God's love from one sinner to another, from one who found grace to one who needs that grace and love of God. So John says here to the people that are dealing with bad theology that love is not only the best morality, it's also the best theology because it's based on God's sacrificial love for us that not only makes us his children but endows us with his character as love givers. Our world is looking for a solution to its problems, even as those churches in Asia Minor were. And it's true. All you need is love, but a specific kind. The love of Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and to becoming children of God. And for some people, there may be only one person in position to share that love. You. You might be the only bridge to Jesus that someone may ever have. Make the most of the opportunity to be a love giver, loving because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love expressed in Jesus, verified in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who reminds us and, and uh, verifies to us that we are your children. And as your children, we too are love givers. Help us to, to remind ourselves of your love for us so that we can be reminded and motivated to show our love to others in this coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's respond to singing a song by, entitled, Yezu, Yezu, Fill Us With Your Love. It's actually, I believe, a, a Korean or Philippine song. I forget who, who first wrote this. Um, but it's come into our hymnals recently and a beautiful expression of how we are to be filled with God's love. So let's ask Jesus, Yezu, to fill us with his love. It's number 299 if you're following along and lift, your heart, lift up your hearts. We'll sing the four stanzas as we stand to sing.